So, I've titled my sermon, I don't know, it was this first silly thing that came to my mind. I'll just like put that in the, hey, I was a youth minister for 10 years bucket for the praise, for the glory, for the corn. Uh, because what Paul is doing in this chapter, in this, this small bit of verses, is he is encouraging his protege, Timothy, to choose suffering. Um, he's, he's encouraging, he says, suffer with me, which I don't know about you, but I will almost never choose to suffer unless I see there being some greater good that's going to come out of it. And so unless we have an incentive, a reason to choose suffering, we will avoid it. Time and time again, I will not do it. Unless I consider like the pain of running worth it, I'm not going to go for that run. I tell people, I've tried to be running more in the last year. I've probably run more in the last year than I ever have in my life, just trying to like be in shape enough to dominate my children <laughs> in wrestling and whatnot. And it's also just time to clear my head and, and get out of the house and get some fresh air before they're awake. And uh, I really don't like running, but I really like having run. Like there's, a, there's something on the other side of it that I'm looking forward to uh, that, that gives me cause and reason to, to choose the suffering that that is. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy to choose suffering. And, it, and I think that's important because there are sufferings that we go through in life that are not things we choose. That's not what this passage is about. This is about the sufferings that a Christian opts into. That if I'm going to walk out life in Jesus, there is a suffering that I am choosing to do. And so there's three sufferings that he's going to kind of be going over and, and he addresses them in a couple different ways. Um, first will be the suffering that of obedience. I know that sounds weird to say, but obedience itself can be an act of suffering. In fact, obedience only really most counts when it's suffering. You know, sometimes people go, oh, I don't agree with the leadership here, so I'm going to leave, or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to abide by that because I disagree. Well, obedience and a respecting of authority only really counts is obedience and respect for authority when you disagree, right? When you don't see the end in sight, when you don't have a clear understanding and you're just trusting in that authority. And so we have an authority that we are to trust in, in, in and follow whether or not we agree with them or not. And so there's a suffering to that because there's times where, man, we're asked to do something that does, it doesn't profit us. So like even the small things like to obey God may cause you to be late for something. It may... Uh, cause inadvertent offense to someone. Um, it may cause us to restructure our lives, um, to be less comfortable. It may impact our career goals and our aspirations and what we were going to, thought our life was going to be, to be obedient to God. You know, Paul, if he had been disobedient to God, wouldn't be in prison, uh, where he's writing this letter to Timothy from. All he would have had to do was choose to not opt into the suffering and he wouldn't be in chains. And so that, man, that, that's a hammer for me to think about. Like how many ways do I opt out of the suffering of obedience? Um, so yeah, we're going to be asked to do things that are not conducive to smooth sailing in the world. There's the suffering of obedience. Two, um, there is the uh, suffering of temptation. Then in the Christian walk, there, we are beset on all sides as we walk through the world by temptation to stray to one side or the other or to compromise uh, our, our character, our righteousness, um, and to just kind of, you know, sin's not a really big deal. 
And it's easy to forget what we've been saved from. I love the benediction this morning, just the reminder, God, I do not deserve uh, your grace. I guess that was the prayer of confession. But uh, we get beset by these things. We forget what we've been saved from and what we've been saved into. And maybe sometimes I'll be tempted to think of my salvation as like an event that happened, not something that is ongoing and there's a new life that I'm living now. Um, We're also, there's uh, the suffering of just work. If you are in Christ, you have work to do in the kingdom. This is not the job of a pastor, the job of the specially ministers. We have work to do, and, and there's a usefulness and a purpose to us that we've been saved into. And, but as anybody who's ever worked a hard day in your life, it hurts. It's exhausting. You feel tired. You don't want to go back the next day. You don't want to put up with the things. I remember my first like real job <laughs> when I was 16, my brother-in-law had a block laying business and he needed somebody to come and, and tend, which is just moving blocks up onto, onto ledges and mixing buckets of mud, carrying them around. It's hard work. And I did it. And I worked my tail off that day. And I remember when he called me, he's like, hey, you did a good job today. Uh, so I'd love to see you back tomorrow. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be playing video games tomorrow. I don't think I'm going to go back. I don't, I don't want to work hard day in and day out. It's exhausting. Even though I didn't have any money and I needed the money and it paid well. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I always look back on that and just like, oh, at least now it's redeemable as an illustration. But um, yeah, we'll get discouraged in our walk and in, in the work we do. We'll be reluctant to scatter fresh seed in new places because maybe we've scattered seed before and haven't seen anything come of it. We'll be like, well, maybe I'm just not a good seed scatterer. Or maybe we look, look over at somebody else's body of work and we go, well, they've, they're churning out <laughs> proselytes. They're, they're cranking out these people who are hard after Jesus now. And it's just, you know, I, I'm just not very good at it. So why would I work hard at something that's not going to have any yield? Even though we ultimately don't know what the yield is going to be until... Uh, until the day we stand before him. Uh, We can be kind of the volume of work as you look in your community and around your town and see the people in need and the the work that is to be done and it can become so humongous that we don't take the first step. You know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And, but we'll get caught up in that moment of anxiety of like, I can't do it all and so we won't do anything. And so these are sufferings that a Christian opts into. We, we opt into the fact that I'm going to choose to work. I'm going to choose to be obedient to God in the moments when it is not convenient for me. I'm going to choose uh, to resist temptation. I think I've heard temptation described as like a river. And you only know the current, the strength of the current until you stand against it. And so if you're just getting swept away all day long, you don't, you've never built up the strength to stand in that, in that river and against that current. So there's, there's a suffering to standing against it. And so we're going to look at some of the illustrations that Paul uses here. So if you guys are there in first, or 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 1 just because starting in verse 2 is the middle of a sentence. But pretty much every Paul letter you look at, you're starting in the middle of a sentence because they're really long. But... You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus 
and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He gives us three illustrations. The illustration of a soldier, the illustration of an athlete, and the illustration and um, yeah, the illustration of a, of a farmer. And so they address kind of those first three things that I talked about, the suffering of obedience. Pretty much anywhere you see the military brought up in the New Testament, it's talking about authority. You know, you see the centurion who comes to Jesus and Jesus offers, or says he needs healing for, uh, for his daughter and Jesus says, okay, I'll do it. He said, you don't even have to move because I know that you have authority and I know how authority works, right? When we were talking about the military, we're talking about people who understand orders. I have a friend, uh, his name is Shay. He's in the Navy Reserve now. He did the Navy for eight years and now he's out. He's done many tours. It was hard. He had to leave his family a lot of times. <clears throat> lived in California, lived in Virginia. Now they're back at our church in, in, in Newark. And he's in the reserve. So he's kind of like coasting out the rest of his, his tenure in the Navy. And, la- and he thought he had plans for the next year to live with his family, work at his job, raise his three children who are like five to 11. And uh, then he got news from the Navy a few months ago that, no, actually next year you're going to be in Guam and your family's not coming with you. And so, like, as a person in the military, his job is to obey that order. And he said, okay, that's where I'm headed. A person who, um, because first and foremost, he has to obey his command structure. Uh, there's a, I've been going through a history podcast recently, so I'm sorry if, if anything comes across as history heavy. I think I had like nine history illustrations in the car with my, with my friend Josiah. Uh, but one of the things, if you guys have ever heard of General or uh, Colonel Custer, Custer's last stand against uh, the Lakota Indians, I remember I've actually driven by that area in Montana where he met his end. But one of the things that he, he was also in the Civil War, and one of the things his commanding officer said of him was, you know, Custer, you're one of the only men for whom matrimony has not spoiled for a charge. Meaning that just most of the officers that this general had, when the moment they got married and they became consumed with that kind of building life with their spouse, all of a sudden they didn't have that courage to go out and lead the charge like they used to, and he'd have to find somebody else to do it. But Custer was noted for being brave and courageous despite the fact that he had a wife who he loved very much. He would still go out and lead the charge and, and have victory. But the reality is, is that Battles are not won by soldiers who don't obey their commands. Battles are not won by soldiers who put their own personal needs over those of others. And in the church, in the world we're in now, we have a battle that we're fighting. And so if we're not seeing victory happen in, in seeing battles being won in the lives of those around us, perhaps we're not being obedient to the commands of our, of our commanding officer who is Christ. There are ways in which uh, we are receiving orders and we're going, well, actually, 
I have other things I've got to do first. You know, I've got to go, I've got to go take my kids to practice. I've got to, you know, this baby's got to get a bottle or they're going to cry and babies should never, ever cry. Um, if, uh, man, Andrew Dempsey, has he been up here, Andrew Dempsey? You guys know that name? He told me when I first had a kid, hey, just remember, if they're crying, it's because you're doing something wrong. <laughs> and it was actually really helpful because I get sarcasm. Um, and I was like, right, they, babies cry. Anyways, but in the kingdom, we are to be listening for the commands of God to obey them first and foremost. We, have, we are soldiers with a job to do. And so the illustration that he's giving to Timothy is think of yourself as God's soldier, that when he commands, you are going to be leading the charge to go out into battle. You're going to be putting yourself in the places where you could get hit, where you could receive damage, where your personal life might take, take a toll for the sake of obeying God. But when we do those things, that's where the glory of victory comes, not by hesitating, not by waiting, standing back, but by being intentionally obedient to God and the things that he's called us to. And that's going to require that we are listening for the command of the Lord. So Paul says, think of yourself as a soldier. Next, he says, think of yourself as an athlete. You know, I think there's been a number of scandals over the last few years of uh, athletes who have cheated at their sport. You know, whether we're thinking about like people who are using tons of testosterone and human growth hormone to do inhuman things uh, in their sports, particularly in baseball, or maybe you're thinking about Lance Armstrong and uh, cycling, uh, but also, or maybe you're thinking about Tom Brady deflating, de deflating the balls. But there's something that, you know, what's funny is that like those people who have been caught to be cheating, they kind of lose the prestige and the renown right? Their uh, accomplishments don't mean as much when we find that, oh, they weren't, they were cheating. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, why? Why is that? Why do, why does that matter so much? Because I think a lot of people come to the defense of those guys and be like, well, everybody, everybody was doping. Everybody was, was all juiced up on steroids. And so like, what's the big deal? Like he beat all the other juiced up guys. Well, it's because the sport itself consists of the rules. You know, you start picking away the rules of football, all of a sudden you're not playing football anymore. You're playing something else. You're playing rugby, actually. Uh, like, the, the sport itself consists of the rules and the boundaries of what it is. And so the reason why we don't give uh, a lot of accolades to the people who have been found to be cheating is because they weren't actually good at that sport. They were using something else. Like, oh, I thought you were, like a really gifted passer, but you were just making the balls easier to catch. Oh, like that, there's, there's ways in which that devalues the work that you're doing. In the same way, if we forget what we've been purposed for, that we've been purposed for righteousness, that we've been saved from our sin that wasn't just bad, it wasn't just, oh, it wasn't the best way for me, it was death. If we forget that what we've been saved from was death, then we're, we're straying away from what the actual gospel is. We're, we're, we're devaluing the sport, as it were, 
We're bringing everybody down. Because the point is that I was dead in my sin and my transgressions. And that Jesus made me alive because he is righteous. And now I'm going to pursue that righteousness. That doesn't mean that the Christian is to be perfect. That doesn't mean that we're to then take any sins that we have and just sweep them under the rug. No, rather we bring them into the light and trust in the grace that is also provided in that gospel that he's going to wash us and clean us and make us new. And so we're to be like an athlete who, man, if we find out that an athlete's been cheating, that, sorry, man, that trophy's not yours. It's for the person who actually played the sport, who actually was doing it. In the same way, man, we are to run this race for the purpose of righteousness. Our God is a righteous God, and we want to be with him, not with somebody else, not with just a better life here on earth, but we want to be with our righteous God. And so a believer's life ought to be one that is marked by repentance, confession, turning aside from our sins, exposing them, lovingly restoring brothers and sisters in Christ who have fallen into those traps, receiving the correction from the people around us. Why? Because our goal is righteousness. It's not ease of life. And there's, there's suffering in that. There's suffering in that. And so there's, it's one in which we, we struggle because, man, like I said earlier, temptation is a current. And all you got to do is just pick your feet up and you're going to start getting swept down river instead of standing firm against that temptation and holding other brothers and sisters together and saying, let's stand firm together. Can you help me? This is the way I'm struggling. So he says, abide the suffering of righteousness like an athlete who desires to win the crown. Lastly, there's the, the uh, suffering of hard work. Like I said earlier, the suffering of hard work. That man, I've got some uncles uh, who live in Bell Fountain area and they're farmers and every year they get in their tractors and they go out and they plant seeds. They plant seeds not knowing what the weather's gonna be that year. They plant seeds when the weather is bad for planting seeds and they're, they're out there anyways. They're riding, they're doing the work all, all winter long. My uncle's driving truck. They work day in and day out for the future harvest that is to come, even though it is, they're not seeing the fruits of their labors in the moment. They're trusting that those seeds are going to grow. Not all of them, but some of them. And they're going to work to make that ground ready. Uh, it's funny that there's these three, the, you know, the soldier, the athlete, the farmer. We can all probably remember dozens off the top of our head of like famous soldiers, Medal of Honor winners. We can remember you know, who's the best football player. We might have some debate about it. Like, oh, it's Brady. No, it's not. It's... I was a Packer fan in the 90s. Brett Favre is my man. But we, we could have some disagreement, but we can come up with names. Anybody got the best farmer? You guys know the best farmer? It's normally... <laughs> oh, never mind. Touche. Uh, but we have... It's normally a, a position with a little less renown. It's a little more behind the scenes that a farmer... Uh, it's less glamorous, though. My uncle does tell me that at one time or another in a farmer's career, all farmers are outstanding in their field. <laughs> Thank you. But I don't know a lot about farming, but I know that if you don't put seeds in the ground and there aren't seeds in the ground, nothing's going to grow. And so as Christians, we have a hard work ahead of us of sowing the seed of the gospel in the lives of people around us. Paul says, how will they know if they haven't heard? And how will they hear without a messenger? We are those people who are to work day in and day out sowing the seeds of the gospel on those around us. I oftentimes 
shrink back from this. I'll, I'm in my neighborhood. I'm like, man, this is my ministry field now. I want to get to know people, get, them, get good rapport with them. But if I never make the move to sharing the gospel, I've done nothing, you know? I've, I've prepared the ground. I've, you know, maybe poised myself to scatter the seeds, but I've just been like, well, not yet, not yet. But a, a good farmer knows that you just, you got to put in the work. You got to put in the work if you want to see. And it's funny, I said earlier that there's discouragement in the hard work because sometimes you're like, what is going to come of this? And I remember there was a young man in our church who I honestly hadn't spent a ton of time with um, when I was a high schooler, maybe a young college kid leading youth at our church. And uh, I remember spending time with him and then he kind of fell off the map, started smoking a bunch of stuff, just didn't want to have any part to do with the church, ended up moving to Colorado for the reason a lot of people moved to Colorado. And um, I was like, kind of wrote him off. And I heard back from him, gosh, it's got to be like three years ago now, of him saying, hey, Dan, dude, guess what God just did in my life? And I was like, what? What are you talking about, Kellen? And he, he shared with me the different ways that God had gotten a hold of him and he had had a near-death experience and that the, like his mom, through praying, had um, just really been reaching out to him. And he said, dude, I just want to say that when one of the key moments was remembering those times we spent together and being like, man, that was the, like, the best my life has ever been. What am I doing now? And to, so to get to see seeds that I had sown years ago and forgotten about, had written off, and to get to see those come back and start to sprout was like, oh, I was like, I, I don't know why I put so much emphasis on myself <laughs> because I didn't do that. All I did was hang out with the kid and play Halo a couple times um, and you know, try to share the love of God with him. Uh, but to get to see the fruit that God brought forth from that. You know, he says, the way Paul has this phrase, he says, the hardworking farmer gets the first share. That implies more than one farmer working. And I think that's important to remember, that we are all working together in this thing. It's not a competition to see who can get the first share. We're all to be together striving for that, for that share together. Um, I was at a men's night at our church a couple nights ago, and there was a kid who I've been meeting with for almost his entire like middle school through high school life. He's now an adult and I'm trying to keep that relationship going. And I was going to be going to this men's night. And I was like, yeah, you know what, Tyler, just come with me. And he didn't know what he was getting into. He's not really following the Lord, doesn't, and kind of feels lost there. But man, it was such a blessing to sit down at this table and have the other dudes at this table also start loving on this kid and start showing the love of Christ, sharing the gospel with him straight up in that moment. I was like, I, and I actually started to feel kind of bad about myself, <laughs> which is the wrong attitude to have. But in that moment, I started to think like, gosh, these guys are so much more after Jesus than me. Like these guys are so much holier than me. But in reality, what was happening was we were a team. I brought them there. <laughs> like, let's, I don't want to downplay or overplay myself, but like there was many people working alongside one another for the good of this young man. I don't know what's going to come of it. I don't know how that's going to go, but I knew that that was a moment of victory in that, in that time. So I think it's important to remember that we are co-laboring together in the this, in this same farm. Um, and I, sometimes I would, I would think that like, man, I should just want to uh, serve the Lord and go through these sufferings just for the sake of it without any incentives. 
But Paul's saying, like, no, you need to have something that you are looking forward to. You need to have something that, a reason. And that's what he's giving Timothy here. There are incentives to why, uh, why we do all these things. It's why the title of my sermon is for the praise, for the glory, for the corn. That in that the, the same way that the soldier does so for the praise of his superior officers. Man, I, I know that we can probably, if you've been in the military and you're thinking about your superior officers, I bet they weren't all great. Uh, but our superior officer is Jesus. And just think that the person who we are aiming to, re- to see the praise of, that changes everything. I remember in my uh, relationship with my wife, I struggled with um, purity in my relationships, in my dating relationships growing up. And I re- there was a key difference in the relationship with my wife and how I approached attempting physical purity. And it was a moment when I recognized that she was God's daughter first and foremost, and that in serving and in pursuing purity with her, I was actually serving God and showing love to him. And the realization that God was pleased with me was all the difference. Like, I remember times of, like, great temptation, resisting temptation, getting in the car, and being, like, ecstatic. It's, it's, I'm not trying to overplay, like, myself in those moments, but that taught me something about what it looks like to really follow the Lord. That victory isn't found in just trying not to do wrong, just making myself obey, but willingly remembering, why am I doing this? There's a real God who is pleased with me right now. He is joyful over his son, for him choosing obedience over temptation. In the same way with you, in your life, God isn't like, okay, I'm less upset with him right now. No, he's rejoicing because we have clear standing before him because of what Jesus did on the cross. We have the freedom to actually serve him. And so how do we go about pursuing this? How do we go about choosing the suffering? Like it is a choice you have to make. You can opt out. Paul could have opted out of prison. So how do we go about getting the courage to choose the sufferings of the Christian life? That of the soldier, of the athlete, of the farmer. We set our gaze on the ultimate soldier, the ultimate athlete, the ultimate farmer, the one who obeyed to the point of death. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Remember the hope that we have in him and remember what he did. In Hebrews, it says we fix our eyes on him who for the joy set before him. It means Jesus was also looking forward to something else. He was looking at the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame and was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our end goal is nothing less than union with him with the ultimate soldier who endured and who has seen every obedience. The God who has seen every choice you've made for him. The God who has seen every effort that would go unnoticed by anyone else but him. But he has seen every effort that you have made in the kingdom and will someday celebrate with you. We work to please our God and trust and know that he will be pleased with us when we are seeking to please him and whose blood has washed away every misdeed and every sin, and who himself will recognize us before the Father and place the crown on us and share with us the harvest. That is why we endure suffering. That is why we choose it. 
because I know that there, is ba- there are battles to be won. I know that there is a, an example and a, and a righteousness to be pursued that is worth it. It is worth it. We do it for the praise of God. We do it for the glory that we know we will have with him in the harvest, maybe of corn, I don't know, that we will share with him in heaven. It's not corn. It's the harvest of having people. Can you just imagine being in heaven and having somebody walk up to you and say, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Just think about that for a second. The weight of somebody's life that was forever changed because you were obedient, because you took the time um, to make sure that you were ready in season and out to do those things. This, this message has been huge for me. Um, I was talking with my friend on the way up about how being out of ministry means I'm kind of out of like a built-in accountability structure. And man, I need to be in the word not never in the word, but I'm not in the word like I was. I need to be ready. I need to be poised because there are more important things for me to do. One of which is my ministry field of my children. But then there's, there's a neighborhood around me. There's people I run into every day who, aside from the gospel, are bound to hell. Do I see it that way? Do I carry that weight? And so how is it with you? Or do you walk in obedience? Do you choose the suffering what motivates you to do it? Are you just trying, are you going for your own glory? Or like an athlete who's like kind of cheating, are you just kind of like, I'll, I'll try when it's convenient for me, when it, other people will notice and they'll see it? Or am I aiming to please the God who sees what no one else does? Because he does, and he will celebrate with us. Um, so that's what I want us to hear this morning. That's what I like wrestling through and thinking about. And so if you'll just pray with me, Um, Is that okay for me to close in prayer, Seth? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is always useful for teaching and the building up of the body. God, I pray for us in this room, for the saints here, that you would open our eyes up to not what we can gain from you here on earth, but what is lying ahead of us, the glory that awaits us in heaven. That we would not treat our salvation as a one-time event, but as the new life we now live. That we would seek to please you in everything. That we would seek the the glory that Jesus has. And that we would uh, work hard without um, giving up. So Lord, uh, convict us and use this for our, our good and your glory. It's in your name I pray. Amen.